The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? Well, if you notice our calling um, and our conduct that's given to us back in chapter 4, those two things are really a great contradiction, our calling and our conduct, the things that we tend to fall into. So what are we supposed to do and how how should we live? What are the effects of spirit filling? How can spirit filling actually change us? How can it empower us to live for Christ? How can the the filling ministry of the Spirit actually have an impact on our lives? There's a lot of, you'll read a lot of stuff about being filled with the Spirit. You have some people who think, and they don't agree with each other. You have some people who think that being filled with the Spirit means that the Spirit's like being poured out into you, and He just fills you up. And then others believe that being filled by the Spirit is what He's talking about. You could translate it either way. And that is talking about the Holy Spirit empowering you and coming upon you and giving you power to live the life that he has called you to. Well, there's a sense in which both those things are true. We are filled with the Spirit, first of all, because we definitely have needs. We have deficiencies. Have you ever noticed that, the deficiencies? I know you've noticed it in your spouse, right? You've noticed that they have deficiencies? Well, what the Spirit does is he fills us up. He makes us whole and complete and lacking in nothing that we could carry out this supernatural work that we've been called to. We have been called to live in such a way that Christ is glorified by people seeing us live in the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now we understand that the Holy Spirit does several things in our lives. For example, he opens our eyes to things that we don't see. Uh, we have this terrible problem, you know. It's, uh, Jesus described it this way. He says, you're able to see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you can't see the log in your own eye. You look in the mirror and you don't even see it. It just disappears. Have you ever noticed that? When you live with somebody for a long time, you start noticing that, Uh, typically. If you live in a family, you can see that you have have, uh, people in your family that they can see all your faults, but somehow they don't see the same thing in their own lives. And Jesus really makes it humorous because he says, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye until you get the log out of your own eye. You know, there's, uh, Steve Fernandez used to call this log jamitis. When you get, when you get log jam in your eye and you just can't, you can't uh, see your own needs, you don't see how much you need the Spirit. Well, let me assure you, I need the Spirit and you desperately need the Spirit too. We need the Holy Spirit to make us what he wants us to be so that we can live our lives for the glory of Jesus Christ. What a waste of life it would be to live our lives and pay no attention whatsoever to the way that that our Savior has given us instructions to live. He has called us to live in a certain way. I want you to turn with me to Colossians just for a second. I want to look at one, one verse there in Colossians. It's just two books after uh, Ephesians. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, and let me, let me start reading, uh, I think I'll start reading in verse 25. I'm going to read about three or four verses. Is that okay? <laughs> and here's what it says. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. He was in prison. He was writing this letter. 
I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I'm suffering for you, in other words, he says. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of the body, that is the church, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That used to really puzzle me. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, he's not saying that Christ's suffering wasn't enough. He's saying that there is this continuing, ongoing need for Christ to minister to his people on the earth. Uh, and that sounds strange. It looks like he would, you know, most people, when they retire, they want to get away from everybody with any needs. Right? Finally, I get to stop listening to what everybody's saying. They're, they're, they're so beaten down and they need my help. You get to sleep in and do whatever you want to do. But the fact is, Jesus Christ is in heaven, and he still is concerned. And so he says, he can't suffer because he's not on the earth, but we can. And so Paul says, I'm filling up the sufferings of Christ. I'm serving his people. I care about his people, so I'm willing to lay down my life for his people. And then he says in verse 25 of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. One way you could translate this sentence is this, so that I might fill up the word of God. That's literally what it says. And guess what? That's what Paul did. How many books did Paul write? I don't, I'm not getting the same answer from everybody. So He wrote, he wrote 13 books. And he, he filled up the word of God. He understood that he had been given the assignment that his letters were going to be a part of the f- filled up word of God, which we have now. And we're told that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to, to, uh, to pierce like a, like a sword into our hearts. And it lays us bare before him to whom we must give an account. We can see God's perspective of our hearts by reading the Word of God. I, uh, a guy that married my wife and I, his, it was her pastor, and uh, his son is in South Africa. He started a ministry called All Nations, and what he's, what he's trying to do, he's been at it for several years, quite a few years now, and uh, he's, he's building a disciple-making movement, and they have planted churches, very rural areas and little small villages, and so he, he knew he needed to train them how to conduct themselves when they came together as the people of God. What if you had worship in your home? You opened your home every week and people came to your home to worship together. What would you do? Well, what, uh, what this brother did was he took this from a teaching that I've heard of before. And he said, what you need to do is follow the pattern of the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You notice how all of us kind of trip into the King James Bible when we quote verses? Because that's when we learned them, right? Well, he said, so he tells them this. This is what you do. So they got 15 people, and one of them has the... Has the uh, desire to lead them as they come together. And so he says, this is what to do. First of all, love him with all your heart. That's worship. You sing and worship him together as God's people. Soul, which is prayer. 
Because the soul is that capacity that we've been given by God in creation that we can feel life. You know, when you find out what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, it ought to touch your heart. Peter says what it does to people is it causes them to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's so wonderful when we find out what Christ has done for us, that he would actually lay down his life for us. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, that is worship together, your soul, pray together, your mind, teach the word to one another. And in fact, Jude says that we ought to do this together. We come together uh, to build one another up in the most holy faith. When was the last time you shared something that God showed you in his word uh, that thrills your soul? And you get together with another believer and say, you know what, I was reading in Colossians last week and I ran into this verse. It's just amazing. It's really touched my heart. It made me realize that God's called us for a purpose. You know, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to actually understand that as the people of God, we come together to build one another up. I'm not talking about just in a service. I'm talking about when we get together. When we get together, we want to build each other up in the most holy faith. In other words, as God opens our eyes, we want to share how he's opened our eyes. And uh, I love it when some people come to me and they want to show me a verse. I know what the verse means. I've actually studied it and exegeted and all that. But it's a thrill to hear a believer say, isn't this an amazing truth about Jesus Christ? Yes, it is. It's a glorious truth. And it builds us up. And so he says, love God with all your heart, worship him, soul, pray, uh, mind, instruct, and strength. Serve him. Exert some energy to serve him. Uh, You heard last week about this child over in Uganda that's uh, burned so severely, and many of you have responded to help them with the cost that is so expensive for them because their income is so small. And just to get a ride to the hospital is a stretch. And so you've responded to that. That's service. And uh, that's wonderful. That's the way we're supposed to be. And so what I want to do is look at this passage here. I was was going to show you something. In verse 27, uh, notice what Paul says. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To whom, that is to those... He just talked about the mystery, that is that they didn't know that the gospel was going to go out to Gentiles. Before the coming of Christ, most Jews thought that he was only coming for them, and that the Gentiles were so far away from God and so disconnected from the people of God that they would never receive anything from God. But Paul says that God had a mystery. That is like a secret that he kept for many, many years and millennium until he finally revealed it in Christ Jesus that he was going to open the door for all who would come to come through Christ and receive the blessings of a relationship with the living God and forgiveness and eternal life. And so he says this this took place and he says this mystery which has been verse 26 which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, we're all Gentiles. Now, what in, what in the world is the glory of this mystery? What is it? You see in the verse? The, the, mystery, the, the glory of it is 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian life does not start until you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And when he comes to live within you, he begins to manifest his presence in a way that you get changed through it. And so he says it's the hope of glory. The hope of glory is I'm going to be like Christ someday. I'm going to be in the presence of God, and I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to be so changed that I'll be with the people of God and know this is exactly where I belong. Now, that's true now because the Word says it, but it's going to be true then because we'll have come to a full recognition of this glorious mystery that we're going to be in the presence of the living God and his people for all eternity. And he's going to be showing us things in those days that we've never seen before. And so this is what Paul says he does because of that. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. He was ambitious, wasn't he? Every man, every person. He said every person he saw as a candidate for the grace of God. Have you ever seen somebody or you've been introduced to somebody and you thought, I'm not going to waste my time on them. They're never, they're never going to come to see the, the glory of the gospel. They don't have any desire for it whatsoever. God can reach anybody. And I could just have all, you all stand to prove it. You're here, right? And you remember how far from God you were when he, when he found you, when he brought you to himself? And so that's what's happening. It says, so for this purpose also I labor, which means hard labor, labor to the point of exhaustion, striving according to his power. God gives us the power to bear witness to Christ. That's, he gives, actually gives us the energy and the strength to bear witness, that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that he brings into our lives, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This is the real power of God. It's the power of God working in the heart of a believer that makes them want to share the truth about Jesus Christ with those people that God puts in their lives who don't know him. And if you don't have anybody like that in your life, come and talk to me. Let me uh, give you some new friends. There's plenty of them that need Christ, and you have the answer. You actually know the gospel. You actually know Christ. Now turn with me back to Ephesians for just a second, chapter 5 we're looking at, verses 18 through 21. In, in chapter 5, verses 18, uh, and what's following there, all the way through chapter 6, Paul gives us a solution that we need for how in the world can we possibly live out the mission to which we have been called? How can I live a life where my life actually redounds to the glory of Christ by the way that I live? How can that possibly be? What he does in chapter 5, verse 18, in following, he tells us what we need is we need to be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to live your life in a way that glorifies Christ, you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's going to have to make you whole and complete and, and have his wisdom and his power to live like this. Remember what Christ said? We talked about this last time. And that is that he says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, so shall he do. And greater works than these because I go to the Father. Now that's absolutely beyond the pale, isn't it? That you're going to do greater works than Jesus Christ? Now if, you, if we were to tell each other that, we'd all say, you're crazy. 
But that's what Jesus said. Greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And now he explains how. It's because he sent us a helper. And that helper is going to empower us and work in us so that we can live lives that glorify Jesus Christ, that unveil who he really is. And then he goes on in chapter 6 and says, and not only that, but God, through Paul, has given us instructions on how we are to go through spiritual warfare with Satan and his minions. He doesn't want you to live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to humble yourself and to fulfill these things that he's called us to. What I want us to look at for a few minutes is the, the proof that we're spirit-filled. These are, this is what's manifested by being filled with the Spirit. If you look at verse 18, it says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation or, or squandering your life, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on and starts describing a group of people within the church who are Spirit-filled, who are filled with the Spirit. What's the mark? How can you tell a person's filled with the Spirit? Well, this is what Paul said. I don't know what you say, but this is what Paul says. Paul says, they, you will be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. You get that? And then he goes on, he says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. You know that stuff this last week you were so anxious about and you were so angry about? I'm only saying that because that's how I am. I'm always running into stuff that just, I think, this is totally unreasonable, God. Why would you allow this to happen in my life? I don't say that to him. I don't want to get struck dead. But I think that. And he says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in fear of Christ. Now he's going to go on after this, and he's going to start talking about particular people and families, like wives and husbands and children. But before we get to that, let's just think about this a second. We need to ask ourselves, are we a spirit-filled church in the sense that are we predominantly uh, made up of spirit-filled people who've learned to walk with the Lord and walk in the power of the Spirit? Well, here's the question. Does our singing teach and admonish? Because he says in, in verse 19, the first part of verse 19, we'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know what those are, don't you? Psalms are songs of praise. Specifically, the psalms that are in Scripture are what he's talking about. These are psalms of praise. If you were to go and read Psalm 100, for example, in the first, maybe, the, maybe 100, 101, 102, you hear the, these songs that are just a pure praising God for all that he has done for us. It's overwhelming how much he's blessed us. And then the word hymns are songs of worship. We worship God. Holy, holy, holy. We, we actually utter from, with our mouths together as the people of God. Spirit-filled people get together and they sing praises to God. They actually ex- express with their mouths with each other the glories and the praise of Almighty God. Why do we love him so much? How good is he? And so we sing these together. And then he says spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, just the word ode. It actually sounds like that in the Greek. It's expressing a real life story of experiencing God. You know, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. You haven't heard that one yet, have you? But there are songs like that. They're just songs about what it's like to have a relationship with Christ. And so that's what spiritual songs are. So he says, we sing, and, and when we sing, we teach and admonish one another because we're singing psalms. 
which lift up God in all of his glory, and hymns, songs of worship, and spiritual songs that tell the story of our lives with Christ. And then the second question is, if we're spirit-filled, is our singing really worship from the heart? Because he says there in, in verse 19, the last part of it, we're singing, ma- making melody with your heart to the Lord. Singing and ex- is an expression of the heart. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how sometimes you just break out in song? Um, you're somewhere, maybe nobody. When I used to go on motorcycle rides, long motorcycle rides, I found myself singing in my helmet all the time because I was alone or at least there was so much wind noise, nobody could hear me anyway, and I could just sing my lungs out. Just sing praises, because it's an expression of the heart, isn't it? Your heart begins to express your love and your, your gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third question is, are our lives really driven by gratitude? In verse 20, always, he says, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. always driven by gratitude? Are you grateful for what God's done for you? Isn't it amazing how ungrateful we can get, get so quickly? Because God didn't decide to do what we thought he was going to decide to do, which was our will. Because we kind of, we kind of pray like this, my will be done. I want you to do what I want you to do. But then you come to find out, no, this is, we have somebody watching out for us who actually has his head on straight. He knows what he's doing. He's omniscient and he's omnipotent. He knows what he's doing. And so when he prays for us, he prays the right thing. I once was called to the hospital to pray for a lady who was dying. And it was my youngest daughter's uh, husband's grandmother. So I went to the hospital and uh, I'd met her and talked to her before. She's a real wonderful Christian lady, and, and uh, she was dying. And so I said to them, well, how do you want me to pray? And they said, would you pray that God would take her home and just bring her into his presence? I said, yeah. So I prayed. I prayed for a short prayer, prayed that the Lord would take her home and bring her into his presence. And I said, amen, and I said goodbye to them, and I left. And uh, my son-in-law called me. He goes, man, God answered your prayer. That's amazing. You know, it's so much harder to pray that God would heal somebody uh, in the sense that that's what we're wanting, wanting a guy who can pray for us and bring about healing and things that we want. And yet I had the privilege of praying that God would take her home, and he actually took her home. And I could say, amen, praise the Lord for that. Thank you for answering that prayer. Now she is in the presence of her Savior for all eternity. And this kind of thing is revealed in our praise and worship. Uh, in in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, this is what it says, Through him then let us continually offer up sacrifices of... What were the sacrifices in the Old Testament? You remember those bloody sacrifices they had? They were all offered, their blood was shed, and they died, and they were offered as sacrifices for us and for our sin. But he says, under the new covenant, we offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, he explains, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. 
And he, then he goes on, he says, and don't neglect doing good and sharing, like actually caring about each other and giving to meet needs. He says, because with such sacrifices, God is pleased. They're bloodless sacrifices that all of us can offer. That's new covenant worship. And so we gather together. This is a mark of spirit filling. Now we know, for example, that the Bible is real clear that not everybody, this tongues are not a sign of being spirit filled. Because Paul says not everyone speaks in tongues. No, no matter what you think about tongues today, not everyone speaks in tongues, Paul uh, said in the first century. Not everyone has the gift of healing. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. So spirit filling can't be speaking in tongues. It's much greater than that. Let me tell you something. If, you can, if the Spirit of God can so work in a person's life that they love and forgive and, and care about their brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a miracle. That's glorious. That's life-changing. And that can affect your life in a glorious way. And you know what? The amazing thing is when people are moved by the Spirit to do that, they don't have a big ego. They're not thinking, wow, I really slayed them today. It's kind of like preaching. Preaching is a, is a humbling thing because you never feel like you really know what you're doing. Uh, you just know that, this, that what the text says is true. And I can have absolute confidence that what this text says is true. And so spirit filling is the miracle of people's hearts being changed by the Holy Spirit, so that you love one another, you care for one another, you want to be with each other, you forgive each other. One of the things that Jesus told his followers is, when you go to offer an offering, they were still offering sacrifices at the temple, he says, when you go to offer a sacrifice, if you remember while you're standing there that you have a brother who has something against you, you leave your sacrifice there and you go and you make peace with your brother. You ask for his forgiveness. And then you go back and offer your offering. You get the priority. That's the priority. You know, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day who's a Sabbatarian, a believer who's a Sabbatarian, believes in keeping Sabbath. And, uh, and uh, I, that, I think that's fine. But I want to tell you what is required. We're not required to keep Sabbath, but we are required to love each other. That's the last and greatest commandment. Remember what Jesus said in John 13? He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another the way I have loved you. So how are you supposed to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? The way Christ did. How did Christ love us? He died for us. He laid down his life for us. He valued us above his own physical life. And that's how we are to do. And that can only happen if we are filled with the Spirit. So when the, when the Spirit is filling a people in, in, in local church, this is the kind of things that you're going to see. Um, you put other people first. In a seminary class I teach, I, the other day I was uh, asking the students, uh, they, all, they all are in very similar churches, and I said, do you have anything in, your, in the life of your congregation that's like a, a, a barrier for some people in, that live in your community, you know, some ethnic group or whatever, that for, it would keep them from coming to your church? Yes. And I was curious, what, 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 what is it? And they live in a, they live in Vallejo. It's right in the midst of predominantly black population. And this one guy says, the the biggest barrier we have is our music. 
Well, they're very militant in their music. I mean, they really sing. And, but they said, it's not what they're used to. And so we know it. And we, so this is our challenge is, how can we remove one of those things that would keep people away? Now, I think that we ought to be so flexible that we ought to sing wherever we're at. I went to, uh, the first time I went to the Philippines, was in a con- it was a, a convention thing that, we, that was going on, and I was speaking there, and they, they had churches from all over the Philippines. You know how many islands in the Philippines, anybody? There's so many they can't count them. It's huge. And, and it's, what's really strange about this that I discovered that day is the culture is so diverse, it's amazing. It's almost like America. And so every, every service we had, one of, one of the churches would lead the worship and lead the singing. They had every kind of singing you could imagine there. They had stuff that sounded like Southern Gospel. They had stuff like contemporary uh, music that was real lively. They, had, uh, they just had every variation there was. I thought, now that's wonderful. And it was a joy to sing with them. I kind of sound like Alvin Slaughter, you know him? He's a black uh, gospel singer. He's an amazing singer. I'm just kidding. I'm not like him at all. My voice is, you can hear my voice. Squeaky, scratchy, and all that. Um, but the thing is, is that we, we do have a desire to worship in a way that we can draw all people in with us, and we can worship together because we are one body. And that's what the spirit filling is. It produces in us a love for each other. A supernatural love for each other. It's, being filled with the Spirit is not primarily having a thrill. Being filled with the Spirit is being empowered. It's being empowered to carry out the will of Christ in our lives as weak as we are. And so that's why he's, gonna, that's why he's talking about Spirit filling here. And in chapter 6, he's going to talk about spiritual warfare. How do you fight against Satan when he's trying to divide us? When he's trying to get us uh, going after each other's throats. What, what, is, what are we supposed to do? Well, he's going to tell us in chapter 6. You've got to come back next week. That's what we're going to look at. Uh, I, love, I love this doctrine of being filled with the Spirit. It's so funny how different groups of Christians have, take such different under, views of it. But I want to tell you that this is the key to experiencing Christ's ministry who's living in us. He's in you because he's the hope of glory. He's the hope of sanctifying you. Your sanctification is the indwelling Christ. He's the one who brings sanctification. There's not some formula I could give you to say, well, do this on Mondays, this on Tuesdays, this on Wednesdays, and follow this pattern and you'll be holy in five weeks. No, that's not what it is. It's Jesus Christ. As he lives his life in you, he works in you, and he does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God has been given to us. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to send the Spirit, and it was going to be the Spirit who opened their eyes to the glory of Jesus and also empowered them to love each other. Have you, ever, you've, you have read the New Testament enough to know that the disciples, the 12 disciples, were not the easiest guys around to, to have a great relationship with. They had a lot of rifts within their own group. 
And you know what? We're like that too, aren't we? Now, there's, there's two or three of you that are really easy to get along with. I can see you right now. But most of us, including me, uh, it's so much easier just to keep my distance, isn't it? Just to keep your distance instead of saying, well, wait a minute. Christ commanded us to come together and sing and to submit to one another. Now, you know what submission is. Submission, it means lowliness of mind. It means seeing myself as your servant. I am here to serve you. That's the mindset we're supposed to have. When God brings someone into your life, somebody new in your life, in the, in the context of uh, Christianity and the, the local church, that means that person has been put in your path because God wants you to be an instrument in his hands to bring them to see Christ like they've never seen him before. How can you possibly do that? By being filled with the Spirit. That's why I want you to be filled with the Spirit. It isn't primarily so you'll feel a lot better. You know, you get out of the mully grubs and stop being so depressed. That's not, that's not the reason he wants you to be filled with the Spirit. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit so that you will come out of those things because you will, you will begin to have joy unspeakable and full of glory, and you'll be able to love fellow believers and be used by God as an instrument in his hands to build them up and bring them to maturity in Christ. Uh, I think the greatest privilege we all have, and it's a privilege every one of us have, is that we can make disciples. We can actually spend time with people and influence them for Jesus Christ. It's okay for you to do that. It's okay for you to actually act as though Christ has called you to this. He has called you to make disciples. He's called you to love people. And he's called you to love them in ways that will lead them into maturity in Christ Jesus. And the thing is, the thing is, is that God's already done something in their life and is doing something in their life that makes it so much easier. It would be impossible if it wasn't for what God has done in bringing them to faith in Jesus and Jesus taking up residence in residency in them. When you're just trying to disciple someone, if they don't have Christ living in them, you've got an impossible task. It can't be done. Now, what you can do is you can keep telling them about Christ until they come to believe on him and receive him, and then the, the Jesus Christ living in them is going to begin to produce changes that are going to last throughout all eternity. In fact, in, in Ephesians, back in Ephesians, he tells us, you know what, God's begun something in us because in the future, as the ages roll in over us, is literally the way it says it, as we live throughout eternity future, as the ages roll in over us, we're going to learn more and more about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He's a glorious Savior. You could never, ever seal up. You couldn't study the Bible and come with, you know, there's many guys try to, try to uh, number all the blessings that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. And I've heard several different guesses about how many things there is, how many things he's blessed us with. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And so you've been blessed richly, far more than you realize. It's like Jack Miller who said, cheer up, you're worse than you think, but God's love for you is greater than you ever imagined. That's true. You, you are much worse than you think, but you're much more blessed than you have ever realized. 
God has blessed you far beyond your ability to even take in. And what he wants you to do with that blessing is he wants you to love people with it. He wants you, you know, some of you have gone through some real hardships in recent days. And guess what he's doing? He's equipping you. He's giving you grace. He's pouring grace into your life so you'll be able to pour that grace out into other people's lives. We, have all, we all have that process going on in our lives. And so I want to stop now and pray. I, I don't really want to stop, but I'm going to stop and pray that God would work a miracle in your life and turn you into a people lover and a disciple maker. And you, did, you enjoy the process of being used as an instrument in the hands of God. It's glorious. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for your kindness in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you would send your own Son into the world just to bring us into the family, forgive our sins, give us eternal life so we could know you and know the Son. And so we pray, Father, that we would respond. We would respond in faith and confidence in you, Father. Use us for your glory, we pray. We pray that this year we would see many people come to faith in Christ and we would have the privilege of actually affecting people through the gospel by living it and by explaining it. I pray that you, we would be people who, who have people ask us why we have such hope. We're supposed to be able to give an explanation of why this hope lies within us. And so I pray, Father, please help us. Please help us to take this seriously, what we've been called to. We have been called to minister. We have been called to be used as an instrument in your hands. I pray that we would be an obedient, obedient servants of Christ, that we would, have, we would enjoy the thrill of being used by him. Bless us as a local church, Father. Give us a heart for ministry, a heart for people, a heart for seeing people grow in the faith and walk with Christ. Fill us with the Spirit so that we could do this work, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we pray. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.